Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everybody. This is Cheryl. Uh, Jewel has a previous engagement this evening, so she won't be joining us, but She's uh, responsibly left me in charge. And uh, so we have a few things we're going to talk about tonight. And if you have any questions, as usual, go ahead and post them on the sidebar and I'll answer them either as we go along or I'll save them all till the end. Um, I look forward to hearing from you tonight. And so let's get going. We've got some fun things to discuss and I'm looking forward to it. So We have discussed in one of our earliest calls the difference between indoor and outdoor. And so we've decided to revisit that. But if you want to go and and, uh, check that older call out, it's from July of this year. But it's worth repeating that uh, there are some benefits to growing indoors and some disadvantages. And there are some advantages and disadvantages to growing outdoors. So we're going to talk about that tonight. If you've decided to grow indoors, first of all, the only reason that it went indoors was because of prohibition. Cannabis was always grown outdoors, but when prohibition came, the people that still really wanted to have access to cannabis just started growing it inside. And that's the history beside indoor growing. But um, to grow indoors now, for those of you that are already doing it, this is going to be old news to you and and information you're familiar with. But if you're on the sidelines and you're not sure which way you're going to go, let's talk about it. So to grow indoors, you you have an infinite amount of control over your environment and they call it controlled environment farming. So you can control the nutrients, you can control the light. Um, You know, the babies start at at 24 hours light and then at, at a certain point you switch to 18 light and six dark. And then you ride that veg light train until they're about two months old. And then you flip into 12 hours of light and 12 hours of dark. If you're a new grower, expect that when you flip into flower, 12 hours light and 12 hours dark, your plants usually double in size. So allow for that when you're going through the process of taking them in the veg, when they get to about it depends on the strain you're growing, but if you're growing an indica plant, uh, you will flip into flower when they're about eight weeks and about two feet tall. And then you can expect them to double their height uh, in that. So make sure you allow for that as you're growing. Um, so back to the, the, the differences between indoor and outdoor. Uh, you'll control the light. You can control the airflow, obviously, with fans. Fans are a big, big part of indoor uh, growing and a very, very important part. It helps with pests. It helps with um, mildew. It helps with the relative humidity in your room. So airflow is a big part of it. Uh, and, And of course, your pH in the water, you can control that too. So all of those things, if you're growing indoor, can be beneficial. The negative part of it is the expense involved in setting up on that. So 
<clears throat> obviously lights versus sunlight indoor is way more expensive uh, and and there there's variables in that too uh, typically if you're growing with leds you can spend up to fifteen hundred dollars for the same coverage that a, a metal halide or a ceramic light would cover at three hundred four hundred dollars compared to sunlight which is free uh, also your indoor like when you're growing outdoors you can use nutrients but typically it's a little more um, less controlled and so you're going to save some money there because you just don't get around to it as much as you do when you're growing indoors uh, the airflow of course is the wind that's coming over your fields and it's the quality of the product now that's a huge debate right there there some people say that indoor doesn't taste the same uh, and some people swear by by indoor some people swear by outdoor it comes down to personal preference um, I've seen good and bad in indoor and outdoor in outdoor of course the lure of outdoor cultivation rests on the hopes of producing huge amounts of cannabis at the lowest cost in a single harvest if you can grow outdoors um, in your area some people are located too close to the coast and and the salt interferes with their outdoor growing but if you're in an area where you can grow outside um, it as it's estimated that when you are growing outside you're spending between three cents and 20 cents to produce a gram of cannabis if you're growing indoor you're looking at between 90 cents and two dollars a gram so the argument is that if you grow a big enough crop outside your costs are so low that you could produce in one outdoor crop what an indoor grower could do in a year the the profit the the bottom line will become the same except that the indoor grower has to grow all year the outdoor grower can do one crop um, just because your costs are so much lower so for cannabis that produces um, outside isn't as pretty usually typically it's not as pretty but it really doesn't matter if you're going to be using it for oils or extractions to be used in beverages or edibles or um, I know vape pens are a bad word right now, but uh, if you're using it for, for cartridges for vape pens or beauty products, then the best reason to go do it outdoors is because of the cost. Um, that's a big, big factor. And then, of course, cannabis is meant to be grown outside. Um, and it won't, again, look the same as indoor because it's such a controlled environment but it it can harbor the same benefits so you make your own choice and decide which works for you if you if you have a secluded area and you can i mean not everybody that lives in a subdivision can grow a bunch of plants outside but if you have access to a large area and it's outdoors and it's somewhat isolated and you can grow outdoors might be an interesting experiment to try not suggesting you do it illegally but you know apply for the license for a for an outdoor grow, outdoor grow and and do the experiment for yourself uh, so then that's the the comparison between indoor and outdoor <clears throat> 
we're going to talk a little bit again about starting materials. If you are ACMPR, you can start your micro grow from the materials that you are using with your ACMPR. Currently, there are only two nurseries licensed in, in Canada. There are three, but one is uh, straight R&D and doesn't sell to the public. The two nurseries, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the two nurseries. That it's from personal experience. The, uh, the one, ex the one um, nursery that I've contacted has a program where you can purchase a certain number of plants on a pretty steady basis. So it's a contractual agreement where you will buy, uh, it, it depends on your canopy, but you'll buy a certain number of plants that fills your canopy and you'll buy teenagers. So the plants will already be two feet tall when you get them, eight, between 18 inches and 24 inches tall when you get them and you put them straight into flower. So based on a square foot per plant in a 2100 square foot grow, you could have 2100 plants. And um, I, I didn't inquire what it would cost to have 2100 plants shipped, but uh, every, I think it's 12 weeks, they send you a new batch. So you, you get a bunch of teenagers, you, harv you grow them out in flower, you harvest, you hang, you dry and trim, package, clean your room, and before you know it, the next batch arrives, and it's straight into flower with that group too. It's um, done correctly. It's 390 days, so it's 30, 25 days over a year, but in that year plus 25 days, you can get six flips in. So if you're very well organized and that appeals to you, um, just do a little research on the two nurseries that are available. The other nursery, uh, I believe this one's in BC. Uh, the gentleman that runs that has been, um, I understand he's got like 17 years experience in uh, horticulture uh, at school. Like he's, he's apparently a genius with um, horticulture knowledge. And they have a, an operation where you buy mother plants from them. Oh, the first guy you're not allowed to clone. So you just get, you sign up a, an agreement and the plants arrive on a consistent basis. And, and that's what you grow. The other gentleman in British Columbia, he sells mothers. I believe they're $1,000. And you can clone as much as you want from his, from his plants. Some, some of these guys will do... Um, um, a custom uh, operation for so if you want to have Girl Scout cookies crossed with Godfather OG Kush, they'll do the the uh, breeding for you and provide you with a, um, a a strain that's particular for your own grow. So check out those two nurseries if that's uh, where you're at in your operation. Um, now we're going to talk about some of the uh, problems that the LPs have run into. Um, we all know about the the problem that uh, Can Trust ran into, and I've done some reading on it, and I've read some different situations about what actually happened there. Um, from what I understand, and I, um, if you know better than I, I'm glad to hear. I would love to hear from you, but my understanding is that uh, while Can Trust did have an LP license to grow. They were growing behind 
almost like a fake wall. And they were exporting that product. So they apparently had uh, $53 million worth of cannabis growing behind a fake wall that when they did their reports to Health Canada, they just didn't mention the cannabis that was growing behind this hidden section. And um, it it's created a... Um, an issue, like from what I understand, they're going to be shut down. They're they're not going to be able to pay their way out of this one, and it's uh, it's created a problem inside Health Canada because now when they're looking to license operations, they Health Canada is thinking about what kind of fancy footwork can trust uh, the wool pulled over Health Canada's eyes, so they're being a little more. Uh, intense with their with their uh, monitoring of an, an application for a micro grow well for I guess licensed producers too but it just makes it a little more difficult for all of us that are coming through behind can trust when they've um, they've been so dishonest it makes it difficult for everybody else some of the other uh, LPs like canopy um, during a call with analysts, the CEO of Canopy, his name's Mark Zuculin, he uh, he feels that it's going to be, and this is air quotes, increasingly unlikely that Canopy is going to achieve the target of $250 million in revenue for the fiscal fourth quarter. Um, that'll end in March this year. He doesn't think he's going to be able to hit that target. So why this information matters to a micro? The LPs are suffering <clears throat> because this industry... It, it's sort of, um, it, it's run off of what the beer companies have done. There's the big Labatt's and the Molson's and all the big giant beer Budweiser and all the big giant beer brewers. And then there are the small um, microbreweries. And so if you can scale cannabis from an ACMPR to 2,100 square feet of being a micro, that's where the sweet spot is for, and not just my understanding. I've done a lot of reading on this and, and we as a team have done a lot of reading on this. And that's why we've decided to go with being a micro because it's difficult to scale the product up to what the micro, what the LPs are doing. Uh, you know, some of these guys are a million square feet and that's got to be very, very difficult, expensive, time consuming, um, it, it's, it would feel like you're always walking a tightrope because if, if you have a problem inside your micro, you can fix it pretty quickly. But these guys being behemoths are a problem could very quickly get out of hand before anybody even knows it. Now I know they have monitors and, and systems in place to catch anything that's deviant out of what they're expecting but it can still happen where if you have one plant that goes sideways in your microgrow, you'll see it very quickly. If you've got a million square feet to monitor, chances are that that one plant that's going sideways is going to infect a larger group before it's actually caught, before it shows up on the monitors of, um, of somebody sitting in a, in an office looking at computer screens. So 
this allows micros to really shine. And by focusing on creating a quality business and a brand that people want to support with local and national inside your local economy and a national economy, micro cultivations are poised to be the Canadian champion. So the success in this industry, you're not hearing about um, like the micros, you're not hearing about what kind of profit any of the micros are making. Firstly, because we're also new and, um, and I, as a micro, and as you all know, I am licensed. It's, I don't stand on a rooftop and shout about how much money I'm making in my, in my micro. I can fly under the radar of people in my town, any kind of public scrutiny, because I'm, I'm a privately held company. I don't, I don't announce to everybody how much money I'm making. But the LPs have to because they're publicly traded. And so their profit and their bottom line, all their information is public knowledge. It has to be public knowledge. So you don't hear about how much money the micros are making because it's private and because we're all pretty new at it. And there's not very many that have um, taken, you know, a full year to, uh, to, you know, figure out exactly how much money you're going to make in a year. I read an article this week about a company in British Columbia that buys from micro operations and they took as their first um, offering, they purchased from three micros, a hundred kilograms. And so if you think about, if, if just, I don't know what, what each micro supplied to this company, but of the hundred kilograms, if each company did like 30 or 35 kilos, then that means that they supplied just over 60 pounds and 60 pounds multiplied out by whatever your, um, wherever you're living, whatever your prices are in that area. But just using, um, you know, the, the average around where I am, that means those micros took in for 30 kilograms, took in about $200,000. And so I don't know for a fact if that's um, what they got, but if if the information that was published about the hundred kilograms divided by three micros that provided that that cannabis to that company, that would be a pretty nice payday, I think. So, if you look at companies like Broken Coast, Broken Coast, I believe um, they they didn't start as a micro because micro wasn't a thing back then. They were licensed as an LP, but they started very small. And they grew little by little with the focus being on passion of the plant versus the dollar signs at the end of the rainbow. And um, Broken Coast always shows up in the top 10 for uh, quality of product, quality of bud and flower. On any list I've ever seen, Broken Coast always falls in that uh, top 10. And they've just used their money and rolled it back in and now, I shouldn't say that because I don't know for a fact, but it would appear that they have taken their profit and rolled it back in to grow their company. And then on the next harvest, rolled it back in to grow their company till they're, they are a major player now. So just remember that the, the, why you're doing this, it's, you're doing it. I mean, the money's wonderful. You can't argue with that. But your passion will, com- will keep you committed to the end goal. And the, the money will ultimately follow. It's that old adage, do what you love and the money will follow. So 
uh, one of the other things that we discovered this week in, in researching for this conversation tonight, um, a small portion of employment that, so in British Columbia, it was just announced a couple of days ago that um, a portion of an employment fund worth 15 million Canadian dollars uh, was set aside by the British Columbia government to help gray market cannabis entrepreneurs in one region of the province gain a foothold in the legal economy. So funding for the program, which came, which amounted to a total of $676,000 is being directed to the Cannabis Business Transition Initiative, which is being run by the Economic Development Community, um, the, the Community Futures in the Kootenays. If you've ever been to BC, uh, there's just the, uh, the geographical qualities of what British Columbia is. They are known for their for their bud they they just seem to be um it's it just seems to be prevalent it seems to be everywhere in british columbia and so the the province confirmed to the marijuana business uh business daily which is a publication i also read it in um mj biz bizcon's publication that the kootenai region uh, the funding that they have available is the only cannabis-related community and employer partnership projected at this time. So it's hoped that the initiative will help more than 100 clients transition to the regulated sector by identifying strategies, opportunities, and helping solve problems with the province and in announcing that funding. So 100 clients with $676,000 available is going to help a whole lot of people in the Kootenays that are terrific growers that really have a good handle on this become legal. Um, because let's face it, I mean, the, the government is going to start really clamping down on illegal market. And so for the government to help these guys go from the black market or the gray market to become legal uh, business is it I, I just it just makes me feel really proud to be Canadian um, so with the legalization of this is a quote with the legalization of cannabis our region has an opportunity to transition its underground cannabis economy to a successful legal industry and in the news release the Minister of Public Safety Mike Farnsworth said cannabis production has been a significant economic driver in many of BC's rural communities and it has been for years. And so a failure to transition these producers would not only jeopardize our goal to reduce the illegal market, it would also be a lost opportunity to create stable jobs that support families and communities. So you're taking these guys that, you know, have had to hide and um, under bushel baskets to, to do what they do. Now they're going to be able to grow in the open and, and provide jobs to neighbors and, and just, have money circulating in their communities. It's just a great thing. Uh, it was not until August that sales of recreational marijuana picked up in British Columbia after an extremely slow start. Re receipts of adult use cannabis in BC doubled to $12 million in, in the one month of, of August. So helping these guys become legal is just a great um, boost for their communities. So why that matters is that many lawmaker, lawmakers want to see small businesses thrive. It's better for the communities. It's better for their constituents and ultimately leads to a prosperous country and the sector and gives 
a network of, uh, of people that are now working and have pride in their jobs. And, and then that money trickles down into the community. You know, the, the guy that owns the Dairy Queen or the guy that owns the A&W sees these guys coming in and, and it just, it, it just strengthens a community to have that um, money uh, trickling down through the, through the whole community. So growth is, is stated in that other article. Um, it might be slow, but that's because it takes time to gain consumer trust. And especially as something that's been labeled a, you know, a drug for the better part of a century. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to see a light being shone on the, on, the, on the industry so that people can do this legitimately and, and be not looked down at by other members of the community, but actually become uh, leaders in their community with the knowledge that they bring to the to the game, and that they become a viable uh, business inside uh, their community. So, where LPs can do some of the heavy lifting and ultimately help micros, um, this was an article that was from uh, MJ Biz Biz Daily. Uh, they have they have great articles mjbizdaily.com so <clears throat> I, I advise you to put that bookmark that and have a look at it because they really do have some great information in their uh, in their in their articles so if we let me see if we get uh, if we get the the micro the the LPs go out there and sort of lead the way it, it helps the LP or the micro cultivations because um, the council in this article, the council asked the incoming ministers of public safety, um, finance and border security to discourage the proliferation of illegal online cannabis dispensaries. So there are businesses out there that operate dispensaries for cannabis online that are not legal, but they've been, operating for a long time and so in trying to shut them down it helps the I mean the LPs are pushing for it they're paying the lobbyists but it helps the micros because as we all become legal um, and the illegals get shut down it customers come to us for quality grown product and so um, th this group, this council, suggested that ministries collaborate with provincial and territorial counterparts, whether it's the RCMP or um, provincial uh, police, to increase the enforcement to further restrict access to youth. It's a quote here, we recommend that the government priorita prioritize the closure and removal of illegal brick and mortar stores and actively seek out to shut down illegal online cannabis dispensaries. So that's going to happen. And so for us to be poised in the micro market, as this happens, it's just going to make our business that much stronger. Um, they've also requested that banking um, channels open up. Legal cannabis businesses continue to struggle to access regular banking services, which essentially acts like a competitive barrier to the, uh, to the legal cannabis industry. The, um, this group said improvements can be achieved by Canada's banking sector to ensure that cannabis businesses are given access to just the basic fiscal resources that we need in order to grow your, our operations. It's, it's one thing to fund your grow 
and, you know, start small and buy all your lights and, and, you know, roll your profits in so that you can grow and roll your profits in so you can grow in the next quarter. But wouldn't it be nice if you could go to the bank and say, look, I'm a legit business and I need to borrow, you know, $75,000 and I intend to pay it back in a year and really get started properly. It would be, especially once you've got that license in your hand to go into a bank and banks are getting better about it. Um, I have a nice banking relationship with my bank and um, I, they accepted me as a cannabis business. I understand that it's one of the big banks and I understand that um, they do it on a case by case basis. They don't just open their doors to any cannabis business, but they do it on a case by case business because a lot of these banks do, do have um, business operations in the States and they don't want to jeopardize what they've got going on in other <clears throat> countries because they are doing business with cannabis businesses here in Canada. So they are doing it because banks recognize that there's a lot of money in this too. And they obviously are in the money business and want to be part of it. So they are starting to loosen that up so that more people like you and I have access to uh, banking. Uh, and also, we all know that um, to realize the potential for the, the regulated cannabis products in international markets, um, the, it's recommended that the ministers develop a comprehensive medical cannabis export framework so that in the next 12 months, <clears throat> it would ensure that Canadian cannabis, in, the Canadian cannabis industries, our, our global competitiveness um, would put us at the forefront but yet still adhering to health and safety, the objectives of Health Canada. Also, um, the licensing. There, the, this industry body is recommending that um, a review be taken of Health Canada's timelines. For those of you that have already gone through, you know that um, the license the licensing process can be tedious and uh, lengthy. And so they're asking Health Canada to try and shorten those ongoing delays so that people can get licensed faster. And I don't, I'm not one that usually defends the government, but this is a new industry for all of us, including the government. And it's their mandate to make sure that what we're doing is keeping the Canadian public safe. And so Yes, they are making sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed, but with good reason, because heaven forbid that, you know, products show up and it be tainted and somebody gets sick and then it's going to look bad on all of us for the same reason that CanTrust shouldn't have been doing what they did because it makes us all look bad. So I support Health Canada in their um, being so meticulous in reviewing every part of, of an application to make sure that they're keeping the public safe. So in talking about, you know, licensing and exporting and banking, why that matters to you as a micro, it helps, it helps us in so many ways because the LPs have been publicly traded, they have to be holding to the, to their shareholders, which means that they have a, um, a highly vested interest in getting the industry to run more smoothly and 
they just kind of pull us along with them. That means that we can benefit while they're paying the lobbyists, while they're fighting out their um, f- for cannabis regulations to be uh, streamlined. They just we sort of ride in their coattails, and and that's great for us. And LPs need us <clears throat> because. Our products are aligned, our interests are aligned, and so they look to us to help supply the the void in the market that they are experiencing. They're looking to the micros to fill that void, so it makes sense for them to to uh, sort of have this symbiotic relationship with us micros. And so now let's talk a little bit about the retail market. Uh, New Brunswick's government is getting out of the cannabis retail business, presenting an opportunity for the private sector. The province issued a request for proposals to openly, to open privately owned cannabis retail op- op- locations for a single operator in the new year. So New Brunswick is looking for a quick sale, indicating the applicants will have until January 10th of next year to submit proposals. And the applicants must have, for those of you that are in New Brunswick, this might be something that you're interested in. So applicants must have demonstrated experience in the sale of adult use cannabis. Uh, They must have the financial capacity to develop and sustain operations. You'll have to have a viable plan to combat the illicit market, the ability to cover high quality service through price competitiveness and product diversity and an approach to building partnerships with local entrepreneurs and the First Nations. So why that matters to the rest of us, having more retail operations is going to really help the market and cultivators become an even more legitimized industry. Consumers, especially new consumers, need to have access to to, um, cannabis in an easy way, an approachable way, uh, in outlets that create the kind of experience that's favorable for, for the legal industry and a new consumer. So if, um, if you, I, I've been to a couple of events where it's, uh, it's almost like a knowledge um, seminar where they're teaching people what cannabis is, how cannabis is grown. And inevitably, it seems to me that 90% of the room, when I walk into these things, 90% of the room is over 60 years old. So <clears throat> this is the generation that were the hippies back in the, in the 60s. But as they got older, they started to fall into that, just say no to drugs. And they recognize cannabis as a drug. And it's really hard for them to, um, you know, they, they think of it as a head shop visit and they're not into it. Whereas if you have a retailer that um, doesn't have that head shop vibe, it's more comfortable for somebody that's a new user to walk in and sort of discuss with somebody the different strains and what, uh, what kind of strain they might be looking for for a particular, um, you know, if they're having trouble sleeping, they don't want a sativa. Um, that, ki- that kind of conversation with somebody knowledgeable behind the desk. Because if it's difficult for consumers to find and access and visit retailers with good consistent product, they either won't be consumers anymore or they'll continue to shop in the black market. And that's a decision that could have negative implications for them in their health and also 
could have legal ramifications that um, wouldn't be a a favorable situation for your 75-year-old granny to be in. So I also um, today, um, in line with, I'm just going to open another screen here, in line with what's going on in British Columbia, there was an article posted today in, um, in the Business Financial Post that the Ontario Cannabis Sales is going to allow the private sector to be involved in storing and distributing cannabis. So the Ontario Cannabis Store will move ahead with a hybrid wholesale model that will allow the private sector to be involved in storing and distributing cannabis, according to an email obtained by the Financial Post. Um, the Crown Corporation sent this letter to licensed producers on Tuesday night, so last night. So this has just been announced this morning. Um, so they're finding that the OCS here in Ontario is bottlenecking the supply of cannabis, trying to get it out to the consumer. Right now uh, in Ontario, the only way you can obtain cannabis legally is through the OCS. So the OCS is recognizing that they're having trouble um, getting the cannabis to the end user. And so they've decided, I, I'm assuming through the lobbyists' work, they've decided to uh, open that, crack that door open so that they can get some input from the micro cultivators and the, um, the LPs on ways to modify the system to allow um, access for users to get the product that they want and need. So at that point, and this is for everybody that's on the call, at that point, I think it's important that um, everybody be aware of who your MP is and contact them and let them know that, that you want to be a part of helping that decision-making happen. If, if you're in BC, of course, you know, they're talking about farm gate sales. If you're in um, New Brunswick and, and you're thinking that you might be getting into the retail business in Ontario with the OCS opening the door, it's only a matter of time before all the other provinces fall in line and we all have the ability to um, distribute our product through uh, an easier channel than what we're ha having to experience right now. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's C-W-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-S.com.